Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to another edition of I Communicate. And uh, my buddy Ted, how the heck are you? I am large and I love it. Are you in charge? Large? Oh, well, it depends on the venue. Okay. You know, you, you know sometimes... When you allow others to be in charge, who's really in charge? Yeah, well, exactly. Now, now, Ted, I have a question for you. Were you a Brady Bunch fan growing up? Um, no. I, uh, my parents allowed me to watch one television program a day. And what was that? Uh, during that time, it had to be Star Trek. Wow. Oh, see, I'm a Star Wars guy, not a Star Trek guy. Yes, I understand. <laughs> That's uh, a great there, response. There, you know, yes, yes, I, I get it. I get it. Oh, man. All right, well, listen, if you look at for our listeners, if you're a Brady Bunch fan out there, there was an episode of the Brady Bunch with Peter Brady when the the group, the whole Brady's went to sing for a competition, and Peter Brady's voice was changing. And so there's this famous line that Peter Brady sings in one of the episodes, the Brady Bunch, and he says, when it's time to change, you've got to rearrange. And his voice totally cracks. Oh, yes, yes, I remember that. You know the episode yes, I'm talking about? Yes, I remember the the, the piece. Yeah, and, and so, you know, we're, today we're going to talk about change. And we're going to actually talk about it quite a bit in the coming weeks because, you know, for all the work I do with uh, organizations and companies, change management, Ted, boy, it is the absolute hot-button issue right now in corporate America. And what's interesting to me is when you look at it from a personal level and when you have to deal with change, forget companies now, forget professionally, think of your own life. Think of when hiccups occur in your own life when you have to deal with change. And I'll give you a perfect example, Ted, is what happens when you make plans with someone? You have plans to have lunch with them, breakfast, dinner, go out with your friends, do whatever. And then the plans change. Right, and those plans change. They're either canceled, they're rescheduled, or whatever happens. It's almost like a gut punch, right? You were looking forward to something, you had your heart set on something, and then something changes and it hits you. It may not linger for more than a few minutes, but it hits you. And if you think of the amount of times over the course of your life you have to adapt to a change of plans, a change of circumstance, a change of environment, Personally, it's very draining and stressful. For the, uh, and, I, and I'm not speaking for the older people in the audience. I'm speaking for myself, being an older person. I'm uh, used to being able to make plans on the cuff and uh, set up an appointment and uh, close on the next appointment and make that commitment right there and then and jump into it. Well, in these days of China virus, I have made several mistakes. Uh, just yesterday, I was speaking with someone, they had to go, so I sent a text and I said, well, look, what I'm trying to do is set up this time where we can regularly meet to do this, that, and the other thing, and it'll be a great way to inspire future events. And I sent the text. And I realized just then, you can't just make 
appointments to meet with people going forward in the future. They're going to want to know, have you been tested? They're going to want to know, who's in your sphere? They're going to want to know, are you participating in the statewide tracing efforts? So it, it, I'm not speaking for the older people in the audience, but some of us old, I mean, for myself being older, I'm not really hip with the rules. Well, and I think that's a great point, Ted, because a lot of the work we do at Mindset Go is around generational communication. And for people in their 50s and 60s and 70s, uh, COVID or China virus aside, change is difficult no matter what. And so it's a great point. <laughs> yeah, resistance is uh, high. Right. So, so look, here's I want to give you a quick anecdote of a of what really prompted me to do the show and some upcoming shows about change and adaptation and resistance. So I've been pretty open with people publicly that, um, for me, I spend so much of my day coaching people, training people, solving problems. So I have a therapist, and I, and I proudly share that I have a therapist. I mean, this is a person who ironically has a big background in training in, in uh, corporate America. She used to work for digital and so she actually understands me beyond what a normal therapist may understand. That's frightening. It, very frightening. And so I had an interaction with her via text the other day, and it really hit me. So I've been seeing her pretty much weekly for a few years, and I texted her the other day, and I said, you know what, I, I think I'd like to go to every other week. I feel pretty good. I feel pretty comfortable. I'd still like to see you and be accountable, but I feel pretty good. I'd like to switch to every other week. And so her response to me was, Okay, well, let's discuss that in our next session. This feels very abrupt. And so my response was, well, no, it's not abrupt at all. It's something I've been thinking about for the last two or three months. And her response to that was, no, I understand. It's not abrupt for you, but this is the first time hearing about it, so it sounds abrupt to me. And I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, So I knew what I wanted to do. I knew why I wanted to do it. But I didn't really communicate that. I just kind of said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. And then she reacted accordingly. And so it got me thinking, Ted, change management to me. Here's what's really going on in corporate America right now. We've got restructuring. We've got demotions. We've got layoffs. We've got etiquette changes in the workplace. We've got some people going to work, some people working at home, and some people doing a combination of both. We've got meeting frequency and types changing, right? And we have goals and objectives constantly changing. So it occurs to me that when a company has to make an announcement of a change, big or small, when a manager of your team has to make an announcement of a change, big or small, how effectively are those changes communicated from top down? And when my therapist said, well, you may not seem it's abrupt, but it sounds abrupt to me, that is the root cause of the problem, that when a company starts at the top and says, hey, we're going to have to adjust our snow day policy, or hey, we're going to have to adjust how we give bonuses and raises and so on and so forth, it makes all the sense in the world at the top because they're looking at the numbers, they see what's going on, but the people receiving the information are like, well, this doesn't make sense to me. So... This is what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. How do you improve the communication internally within an organization 
to get people aligned, to get people on board, and to get people to embrace and adapt those changes. Well, I'm sure you've exercised the uh, option of empathy training, but probably one of the first ways to step off, I would think, and I've been married 39 years. God bless you. And Thank you. And one of the things that I learned late is that it really doesn't matter what I say or even how I say it. It's how it's interpreted by my spouse. And if I don't carefully choose my words so that I'm expressing myself to the direct audience using their language and their iconic mind milieu, if you will, okay, then I am not getting through to them. I'm only exorcising what I need to exercise. Okay. I'm not really communicating. Well, so that's a good starting point. And so so here's 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 where it all starts, right? So a decision has to be made, okay? There's a new policy or there's a new procedure uh, that's being communicated in the company. And you've got the senior leadership team sitting around discussing the decision, deciding what, what the right decision needs to be. And so the starting point and where everything can start to go bad is, do you have alignment from the senior leadership team on the decision that's about to be made? And I want to stress here about my question. The question isn't, does everybody agree with the decision? That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying, is everyone willing to support the decision, whether you agree with it or not? Because if you don't agree with the decision and you have reservations against the decision, when you then have to communicate that on down the food chain within the company, it's going to show. It's going to show in your body language. It could show in your word choice that you use to convey the decision and the importance of it. It could show in the tone and how you deliver the decision. And there's lots of ways. So the first thing is, when you talk about emotional intelligence, which is what we talk about on this show so often, it's such a foundational piece to being a confident and effective communicator. There's four elements the individual delivering the message has to take into consideration. And when we come back from our first break, we're going to talk about what those four elements are. We're going to talk about why people crave the stability and how you can have your cake and eat it too when it comes to delivering effective messages. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about the messaging, internal messaging to people and how to effectively communicate change. And we have a caller with a great name. His name is Mark. Mark, welcome to the show. Good morning, Mark. Uh, two, two, two marks don't make a wrong or a two marks? I love it, Mark. You're right. Absolutely. Anyways, uh, you were talking about coping skills. I have a suggestion for uh, uh, coping skills uh, for this uh, new age that we're living in, and it consists of three words. You know what they are? I can't wait to find out. All right. The paraphrase the Borg 
You remember them, the Borg on uh, Star Trek? Well, yeah, I kind Jean-Luc, of. Yeah. Resistance, Jean-Luc Picard is futile. I kept repeating that to him. Remember that? Well, so Mark, can I can I sh- can I say something about that phrase? Yeah. So, you know, I often talk to people about uh, this concept of um, parent speak, boss speak, teacher speak, things like that. And you, Ted, and I, we know that mist- that phrase makes so much sense. It's so logical. Resistance is futile. The problem is that even though it may be true. People, you know, I spend so much of my time helping people overcome their emotional and mental barriers to accepting that phrase. Because the phrase itself is right and it makes sense, but getting people to recognize it and accept it, that's a whole new ballgame, or a different ballgame. Good luck. You know, these kids are brainwashed from the time they walked into a schoolroom. You know that. From K to 12, that's 13 years. Uh, very sophisticated brainwashing techniques. By the end, by the time they graduate from high school, they know it's been ingrained in them that resistance is futile. Well, you know what, though, Mark, I- I'll tell you, I have a. Couple- they know well about it. It's true. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. Thanks for the call, Mark. Really appreciate it. I have a couple of thoughts on that. One is, you know, I'm not a fan of labeling everybody the same. You know. Um, is there brainwashing going on? Sure. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that point. But I think well, I think we have a real danger. It, it, it is, but 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 the danger in our society, and and I'm going to make a very quick statement because, as I always promise our listeners, I never will go down the political road because I detest politics. But I'm going to make an example of why I'm very careful when people make rash judgments and generalizing K through 12 or something like that. You know, we we just saw what happened at the Capitol. And so we saw the reaction of, well, look at look at how Republicans behave and look at how this and, and everybody started being grouped together as radical, right? We see the same thing with Black Lives Matter. When we see protesters that don't protest peacefully, even though they're in the minority, when you consider the millions of people that protest, people lump peaceful protesters and violent protesters together in the same way they they clump radical Republicans and regular Republicans together. So I think we just have to be careful because we're 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 in, a, we're in an era in a time period where that is divisive thought. When you lump everybody together, it's divisive thought and it's lazy thought. Right, because not everybody is the same. So the indoctrination and the brainwashing that goes into schools, and I'm going to give you a perfect example. My girlfriend, God bless her, she is a teacher. And one of the things I know she takes a lot of pride in as a teacher is she doesn't teach what to think. She teaches how to think. And that is something that is the anti-brainwash and indoctrination thing that Mark was referring to. But... It really comes down to this. When you think about resistance, we have to identify why people are resisting. And so in the example I gave at the top of the food chain is if you're about to make an announcement of a new snow... No, no, I'm going to give you an even better example I dealt with this morning. I I can't even believe I didn't think of this initially. 
So there's a company I'm working with who's the head of their IT, Ted, right? So he's talking to me on the phone this morning, and he says he really struggles when he's putting out a new policy on technology or a change in the organization on technology. A lot of times the senior leaders in the room with him will say, well, I I can't get used to that. Like, I'm just used to doing it the way I've always done it. And so what he tended to do before our conversation this morning is, so resistance wasn't futile with him. This person believed, I'm just going to resist because it was outside my comfort zone. So what I told him to do is, your instinctive reaction when someone resists something is to defend and justify the rationale for what you're doing. And I said, don't do that. When someone says, well, I don't think I can get used to that, your response should be, well, what are you worried about specifically? Like, what is it that specifically you don't think you can get used to? And we know when it comes to technology, and we know this is also a generational issue too, Ted, we know when it comes to technology, what they're really saying, they read between the lines is, it's going to take me time to get used to this and time I don't really want to invest in the process. Yeah, I have to learn something new. And so what I said to him is, get the person to articulate what the root cause of the resistance is. And then once they articulate that root cause, the next thing you're going to say to him is, so the benefits that I've discussed of why we're making these changes, are you clear on what those benefits are? Can you articulate those benefits? And do you personally believe the benefits outweigh the change that you personally might have to make. And so when it comes to change, when people are resisting change, too often the person delivering the change gets caught behind the eight ball because you get in a bad position of defending and justifying as opposed to getting people to do some critical thinking about why the change is taking place, the pros and cons to it. And if your resistance to that change is a selfish individual resistance as opposed to this is for the greater good even if it adver- and even if your perception is that it adversely affects you and so i think it's really important that the resistance is futile i just want to sum that up by saying this resistance you can resist if you feel the need to resist change I don't necessarily mind the resistance, but I want to understand the critical thinking behind the resistance, and I want to understand your motives for resisting. And you have to be really self-aware. And so what I promised I would say after the break is, here's what goes on. Here's the four aspects of emotional intelligence when it comes to embracing change. First, the self-awareness. Be aware of your own reactions and emotions. So take a step back. If you're feeling like you want to resist, why? Why are you resisting? Number two, use critical thinking, self-control. Make more conscious, thought-out decisions, self-management. Understand, once you understand the root cause of why you're feeling like you want to resist, what is it about that reason? And start critically thinking whether that's a realistic um, thought process. Third, awareness, social awareness. Paying attention to others' needs in the environment you're in. Can you separate and discern between your individual needs and the collective needs of either the organization or your team? And fourth, social management. Allowing productive interactions around you. So 
Just to finish this concept before we head into our next break, like I said before, if you don't agree with the decisions being made and you're on the senior management team, you have choices. You can speak your mind. You can assertively give your input and feedback on why you disagree with your deci- with the decision, which I encourage you to do. And I hope you're working in a place that has a culture that is open to that kind of interaction and feedback. But once the decision's made, you have an obligation to support that decision and represent it honorably on down the food chain. And if you can't support the decision, it will impact how you're able to deliver the message. And look, you take away your own credibility because when you don't carry the message from the top down forward and you blame the decision on, well, HR is making us do this or the CEO is telling us this is the way things have to be. When you're having a mindset like that and that's impacting your decision, you're losing your own credibility. You know, you might think you're doing yourself a favor because you're not going to be on board and and you're not going to be accountable because if the decision blows up in your face, then it will reflect poorly on you because you told everybody you didn't support it in the first place. But that's not how it works. It affects your credibility and your level of influence and motivation because people won't buy into your leadership if it's inconsistent. All right, when we come back from this break, we will continue to talk about craving stability and a very good process to embrace change. For Mark Altman and I Communicate, we'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. Good to be back here. And uh, we're talking about uh, adapting and embracing and not resisting change. So let's talk about craving stability for a moment. So one of the things that I think goes on in organizations, especially after the last year and what happened in 2020, is you get a a mindset of the employees of an organization saying, here we go again, you know, and haven't we tried this before? Like those two statements, everybody listening to this show has either said that themselves at one point in their life or know somebody that they work with who has uttered those statements or multiple people for that matter. And so how do you combat that mindset? You know, I, I talk about how the reason why I named my company Mindset Go was because I believe mindset is the number one predictor of happiness, success, uh, growth, so on and so forth. So how do you combat the mindset of here we go again, or have we tried this before? And what I always recommend people do when you hear or involved in that type of mindset, and by the way, even if people aren't saying it, um, you can be intuitive enough to know your environment, to know if that's the thought process, even if people actually aren't even articulating it out loud. But you have to look deeper. What does here we go again mean? It means that trust doesn't exist. It means that new initiatives were launched, changes has been made, and when those new initiatives were launched and changes that were communicated, you expected the sun, the moon, and the stars 
either because you were told you were going to get it or because you just expected to get it and you didn't get it. The results weren't there. So now, because there have been examples in your life, in your family of origin, in your company culture that you're working in now, in a past company culture where you've been disappointed and something's been promised to you or your perception that some, a result was expected to happen and didn't happen, now the mindset is, oh, here we go again. Now, I challenge anybody who says, here we go again, have you actually kept track of how many times changes have taken place that have worked out, that have been effective, that have generated the results that you sought? Or are you glomming on to the fact of the ones where they haven't worked out and that's what particularly gets your attention rather than the successes around previous change initiatives that take place in the company? I think I know why. Okay. People resist change. And if they can come up with a little formula in their head to resist change outwardly without divulging that they're just resisting change, then they're going to do it. <laughs> people, be, people find a way to get their way. And by saying, oh, here we go again, they're resisting change. It's not necessarily what their experience has been, although there may be some justification for their attitude. It's really about resisting change. Well, I tell you, Ted, I, I don't know that I agree with that because I, I feel like so many, and, and let me back up for a second. Um, you know, I talk a lot about the uh, my, my, sh my shoe bomber theory, which I've alluded to on the show before, which is guy walks through an airport with a bomb in his shoe, terrorist, they catch him, and now the overreaction is we're taking off shoes for the rest of our life. And because people glom on to negative past experiences so harshly, do I think there's a resistance? Do I think people innately resist change regardless of past experiences? I do. But, but if you pie charted why people are resisting change, I think negative past experiences are the number one factor that strongly guides their thought process and mindset. And I'm going to give you a perfect example of, of, a, of an experience I just went through with the company, and it's around assessments. So once a year, companies will often do what they call an employee engagement assessment. And these assessments can be, I mean, they could be 10 questions, they could be 100 questions, they're very involved. And so I was brought in as a consultant to, as among other things, review the assessment. Did I think it was the right assessment? Did I think it was the right questions? Did I think it was the right approach? And one of the points I made about an employee engagement assessment is you're asking an employee for their feedback. First of all, people hate to take surveys and assessments to begin with, but now you agree to do it. Okay, you're an employee, you're like, all right, I'll humor them. I'll, I'll, I'll spend the 15 to 30 minutes filling out this assessment. Now, I got to tell you right now, when you take the time, if you work at a company and you take the time to fill out an employee engagement assessment, you have expectations. You have expectations, even if they're not articulated, you want to know the results of that assessment. You want to know if you were agreed with, and you want to know if changes are going to take place as a result of that assessment. And guess what? Companies often fail to communicate any of the three of those after the assessment is taken. So the question is, if you have taken an employee engagement assessment and invested your time thinking that your feedback, your words, your communication was going to elicit change and you didn't get it, 
you're not going to want to take employee engagement assessments again. So if you have a negative past experience, then you're going to want and need an explanation on why this time is going to be different. So if I'm around a mindset in an attitude of here we go again, that doesn't necessarily frustrate me. I want to understand, is the mindset deserved? Have these people been disappointed in the past where promises have been made, changes have been suggested, feedback has been provided, but nothing's happened? Or even if it has happened, it's been very inconsistent and unreliable. And so it takes two to tango everybody. The here we go again mindset could be irrational because you're glomming on to one negative experience that may not have even happened at this company. Or it could be very rational and there has been a pattern in culture of unreliable follow-up and inconsistent change management. And so, look, people want stability. People, We said it at the top of the show. People want to know what they can expect every day. There's so few things people can expect on a daily basis anymore because of the rate and pace of change happening right now. And so... What's the elephant in the room? The elephant in the room is the uncertainty. Now, here's what happens with our brain, okay? And this goes back to what Ted was talking about a minute ago. Because of the resistance to change, because we all have an innate resistance to change at different levels, here's what happened. Our brain hears change and our brain wants to protect us. It says, you don't want to deal with this. This is not going to be good. So the brain basically tells us to be defensive, fearful, and to stick our head in the sand, right? And avoid it. So how do we, at the top of the food chain, when we know all these things to be true, and when we have to make these decisions to grow our companies and to transition our companies through the different obstacles that are coming away, how do we get the best of both worlds? How do we make sure we're making the right decisions but at the same time, have an effective protocol to communicate those decisions on down. So what I want to share with you now is a a very succinct process I teach on decision-making. And so here's some simple things that you have to keep in mind that if you are in a position of leadership and you have to communicate change on down, here's what you have to think about. Who should be involved in making the decision? What is the specific input you are looking for related to making that decision and announcing that change? And I can't state this enough. I can't tell you how many times I see people communicate with others and they'll say, hey, I would love some feedback on this. And I look at them and I go, feedback on what? You just sent me a five-page document. Do you want to give me a category or some direction on how I can give you the feedback? Do you want feedback on grammar? Do you want feedback on if it's influential? Do you want feedback on how the audience will receive the message? When you're asking people for feedback, you have to be very intentional and purposeful. Don't just ask them for feedback. Be clear what you want feedback on. You know, you see in the workplace when it comes to managing up. So if a mid-level manager goes to a senior manager and says, hey, how am I doing? Uh, how you doing? I don't know, good. On what? You know, am I developing my team? How's my time management? How's my prioritization on tasks? How's my written communication? 
How's my performance when I'm running a meeting? How do I do public speaking? I mean, again, it could go on and on. So self-awareness, great that you want the feedback, huge compliment that you're seeking it, but what do you, you have to guide people. Because I want to tell you, my daughter does this to me. My daughter will send me an email and she'll say, can you give me feedback? And because it's so broad, the request is so broad, I put it down my list because it just feels too daunting to tackle. Another example, Ted, that I often talk about when it comes to intentional feedback and communicating is uh, references and testimonials. So if I send you, Ted, uh, a request, hey, Ted, would you write up a testimonial on what an allegedly great job I do running the radio show? Well, you're going to sit there and go, well, I could probably think of some nice things to say. But if I said, hey, Ted, could you write a reference for me? And could you make sure you cover A, B, and C? You're going to be like, oh, okay, now I know what he wants me to talk about. So look, who should be involved? What's the specific input you're looking for from people related to making this decision, announcing this change? Here's a big one. Who should review it? When you're about to send out a written communication to an organization, right? Okay, last thought. we got to go to break. But when you're about to send out a written communication, um, you know how people will perceive it. If you know how, get someone to take a look at it before it goes out in case they discover something that you don't catch, that you didn't get self-aware about. All right, we're going to continue this process when I come back from the break. I'm Mark Altman for I Communicate. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, so we're talking about change management, how to embrace and adapt to change as opposed to resist it. And so we're talking about the decision-making process um, that goes when changes are being created. And we're talking about the the communication among senior management um, when that decision is being made. And so we left off with who reviews it, if it's a written communication, who reviews it before it goes out. And then there's an interesting one. What's the best method to communicate this information? And Ted, this specific issue is, I would say, the single biggest violator of effective change management. Because what companies will say is, well, Mark, we we have to do it in an email. We've got like a thousand people across the country in home, working at home, whatever. And so I say, well, no, no, no. The problem isn't that you're communicating it with email. The problem is, should the email be in conjunction with something else? Now, what, should it be a Zoom meeting? Should it be a video that the CEO of the company creates and sends out? Multimedia is so effective. And it's so available, right? So the method of communication, I understand that there needs to be a paper trail. I don't debate that. But should there be a supplemental communication, especially based on the situational reactions that may be uh, created as a result of this message? And then... Make sure that people who aren't involved in the decision, the mid-level managers or other managers, they need to get the communication and see it and review it before the masses get it so they're not getting it at the same time and can come up with a proactive plan on how they want to address it. Now, I have to share uh, a very quick anecdote about a book I'm reading right now uh, called The Dynasty, and it's, it's about the Patriots run from the time Robert Kraft bought the Patriots till now. 
And Ted, I got to tell you, I've read a lot of sports books. This one's freaking fabulous. But there's a little anecdote I want to share from the story because it relates to what we're talking about today. Bill Belichick, early in his career, got the nickname Dr. Doom. And the nickname Dr. Doom came from the fact that when he was reviewing strategies and plans for the game and how they're going to run the organization, he would always be the one that would try to poke holes in the strategy and look for loopholes and why it wouldn't work. I love that. See, to me, I'll be called Dr. Doom all day if that's why I'm being called Dr. Doom. And what what occurred to me about that with change management is when you're facilitating a change at the company, who at the senior leadership table is going to play the role of Dr. Doom? Who's the one that's going to raise their hand and go, listen, I get what we're doing here, but here's the problem we may run into when people hear about the change. Not the problem with the decision itself. The problem with, hey, once people see this, what are they going to say? And once we understand what they're going to say, what are what is our answer for that going to be? How are we going to handle those? It's called public relations, ladies and gentlemen. It's getting ahead of a problem proactively if you know something's going to exist. Well, you used a great football analogy and. It's like having blockers when you're going to do a quarterback sweep. Perfect. If they're not out front, when the uh, linebacker on the opposing defense screams, sweep, if they're not there to open the hole, there will be no quarterback sneak. Well, and Ted, I want to take it a step further because I love your analogy. I'm going, to, I'm going to build on what you just said. So now what happens is the senior management team is aligned on the decision. And let's say they follow my process. Now they communicate down to their to their managers, mid-level, and they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We just wanted to give you a heads up that this email is going to be going out and this change is going to be made. Now, how many of those mid-level managers do you think in that moment are qualified or armed to handle the pushback? They're not. And so the blockers that you're alluding to are the mid-level managers, and the blockers often have no game plan. They're just given, it's like, here, go do this, right? And so what I want you to think about is if you're a senior level manager and you have to convey a message down through the organization, if you're, the people that report to you, if the managers that report to you don't know how to articulately convey the why of the decision that's going to be made, the rationale behind it, and the plan to address pushback, you're hanging them out to dry. They're not going to be prepared to do it. So this is why change management is so tricky. Because even if you get alignment at the very top, if the next level down isn't armed with talking points about the why, the rationale, the pushback. And that's why you're um, talk, telling us about Dr. Doom is so important. Because if the mid-level or or the people have to open the hole, see that somebody at the top is questioning what's going on and how they're going to do it, then they can more easily buy into it because somebody has already asked the question, well, well, wait a minute, what if? Well, Ted, it's interesting you said that because one of the things I think that happens is when the mid-level managers deliver the message, you're not arming them to convince anything. A decision's made 
you're educating on the rationale and the why behind the decision. But the objective isn't that every person on the team is going to, once you give them the talking points, they're going to jump for joy and go, oh, well, in that case, since you've explained the rationale and why, I'm totally on board. There are still going to be people that aren't on board and are resisting the decision. But the point is, you empathize, you gave them an opportunity to express their concerns, to give you feedback, to ask questions, so they at least felt heard, as opposed to an email which says, okay, guess what, you get two less days off next year, just wanted to give you an idea, this company's not doing all that well, so we had to make some changes. No, that's that's not getting it done. Right. So it is not, when you have the message flowing down an organization, understand that the end goal of success is not getting everybody to agree. The end goal of success is to get everybody to move forward with the decision and not avoid it and procrastinate it and resist it. All right, so that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And look, there's one other big piece here. And we're going to continue this on next week's show about uh, further an approach to communication with this. But there's one other thing that needs to be considered here. Is there an opportunity to reframe negatives to positives? And I'm not talking about phony. We don't want to be phony. People see through that. But if there's an opportunity to to adapt and adjust the wording um, in a message, then that's an important thing. And there's a phrase I learned this week. Do you want to be... A problem creator or an opportunity finder, right? And so if your mindset, right? And so if your mindset when delivering a message or processing and receiving a message is to look for the opportunity and the benefit as opposed to the the drawback and the fallout, that's huge. So look, change management is super complicated. And the key to effective change management is strong internal communication from a company top to bottom. And that's written communication, that's verbal communication. And companies, when they hear internal communication, it seems so big, like, well, where do I start? How do I improve my internal communication? And that's great, Ted. That's where Mindset Go comes in. So look, if you want more information on how we can help with change management, improving your flow of messaging and internal communication, I mean, you have a marketing department for your external messaging, what kind of department do you have for internal messaging? I mean, ask yourself that. Who handles that? Well, let me ask you. What's the best way for our audience to reach you? Well, you can either email me at uh, info at mindsetgo.com or call uh, 978-793-1159, and a conversation never hurts anybody. So thank you for listening to another episode of I Communicate. Ted, you're awesome. Thank you. For Mark Altman, signing off. We'll see you next time. been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.